Well, let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, and we pray for open ears that we might have ears to hear what Jesus says to us. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, this morning we begin, for the next few weeks, a series on Matthew chapter 13, where we find Jesus speaking parables to his hearers, parables that have one common theme, that of the coming and the growth of the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been around churches for a while, you've probably been told or you've heard that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Beautiful little anecdotes, if you like, to make complicated things simple and straightforward. Well, that's kind of right, but it's not the whole story, especially in relation to the reason given here why Jesus used parables. We find out here in the rest of Matthew 13 that we read this morning that Jesus spoke as he did not to make the truth plain but actually to hide the truth. Yeah, that might make a little bit of sense to us which I'll explain a bit more in a moment but this made no sense at all to the disciples. Why would you speak something in order to hide what you're saying? Hide the truth. You'll see that in the text, Jesus quoted from Isaiah 6 and he said, this is why I speak in parables, not to reveal the truth, but to conceal the truth. Now the disciples might have thought, well, this is... Such a wrong move, Jesus. This could be a strategic mistake. This could be a massive PR blunder. Uh, They think this because the crowds are gathering and they're hanging on his every word. Uh, Surely this was the time to put the most comprehensive PowerPoint presentation together and make it as clear as possible what the word of God is about. Not the time to be speaking in riddles. Why don't you just give it to them straight? Don't you want people to know who you are? And the answer, of course, to that is, well, yes, he does. But no, he doesn't. See, this was a time when Jesus had rising popularity. And this was a time when Jesus had mounting opposition. You can see that in the immediate context. In fact, In chapter 12, his own family have just come to take him away because they think he's mad. And in the middle of chapter 12, the authorities have accused him of being in league with the devil. They think he's bad. Family think he's mad. The authorities think he's bad. And even his best friend and strongest supporter, John the Baptist. Chapter 11, having second thoughts about Jesus. Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we we be looking for someone else? So what you see is happening in Jesus' ministry at this moment is his popularity is rising with the common people but this mounting opposition. With the gathering crowds, there are gathering clouds. 
And so he deliberately speaks to them in parables to sift his hearers, to separate the sheep from the goats, to divide his hearers into those who really want to hear him and those who do not. I suppose you could say he's getting or he's playing hard to get by talking in parables. Playing hard to get. See, those who are half-hearted about him will wander off to someone else. Those who want to hear will ask and will stick around for more. So the parables act as a kind of a filter revealing the truth to those who want to hear it and concealing the truth from those who don't. Revealing the truth on one hand, concealing it on the other. They both illuminate the truth and hide it, depending on whether you're inside the kingdom or outside of the kingdom. Depending on whether you're, on, you're in the house listening to Jesus, as the disciples were, or outside of the kingdom, outside of the house, not involved. So by telling parables, Jesus was planting seeds in people's minds. He was the one scattering the seed. He was the sower, wasn't he? Scattering the seed of the word of God onto the field, expecting a variety of responses. Now this morning as we look at the first of these parables, Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of heaven and we'll notice three things about it, especially about its progress in the world. First, let's see in verses 1 to 3 of some vital activity. This vital activity, of course, is the activity of the farmer who goes out to sow some seed. It's an everyday event in rural Palestine that Jesus tells us might have even been happening as he looks across the fields, up in the hills around the lake, when he spoke of a farmer scattering seeds, a very commonplace thing. But the thing to notice about this activity is that Jesus relates this act of scattering the seed to the way in which the message about the kingdom of God grows. It grows by scattering. This is how God sets up his sovereign rule in the world. This is how the kingdom of God comes to the world, not with a fanfare of trumpets or a motorcade of limousines down the main street, not by military force, not by political wheeling and dealing. Instead, the kingdom of God comes by the patient, continual scattering of the seed week in and week out, year in, year out. Never underestimate the power of the one who goes out to scatter the seed. The power doesn't rest in themselves, of course. It rests in the seed. And notice that Jesus deliberately, I think, doesn't identify the sower. Of course, on one level, it's him. Somebody once said about Jesus, God had only one son and he was a preacher. He's the one who's coming with the message of the kingdom. 
He's the one who's scattering the seed to the crowds. But it's not just him. It's anyone who sows the word. It's anyone who stands up to preach. It's any parent with young children teaching them the word at home. It's any Sunday school teacher or gospel worker in university or in the army or wherever or across the back fence who scatters the seed amongst different kinds of people which is what we're all called to do, isn't it? We're all called to be seed scatterers. Speaking the word of God where it's appropriate. We don't have to Bible bash. We're not into that. But you can prayerfully ask, Lord, in my conversation today with people, please help me to say something about you. Please help me to plant a seed little seed is all that it takes. But when the life is in the seed, when the life is in the word of God, that's all that's needed. And what Jesus is telling us here is this, it will produce a harvest. I love what Luther said about his role in one of the greatest revivals in church history ever seen. It was called the Reformation. When someone asked him, what did you do? He said, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word of God did everything. I got up in the morning and I preached the word and I prayed and I went to bed and I slept and it happened. The word of God did everything. And that's how it happens. The kingdom of God is going to come as the seed is scattered. Wherever you go, telling about Jesus and his word. The prophets had been waiting for this. The day when the kingdom of God could be spoken about. And now it's come and you're in on this secret. An open secret to share. Remember what was said to William Carey when he spoke of his plans to go to India with the gospel? They said, if God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help. Young man, sit down and forget about it. But that's exactly wrong, isn't it? It's exactly wrong. God has chosen to do the extension of the kingdom work through his servants. He could do anything with the gospel. He could write it on the stars. He could put it in the universe. But he's given the message to us. The kingdom of God will come as you and I go out to sow the message of Jesus in people's minds and hearts. If we want to see reaping, there first has to be sowing. Second, let's note that Jesus spoke of a varied response. We see this in verses 4 to 9 and then later in verses 18 to 22. And we see there the mixed responses to the scattering of the seed. And the reasons for these, according to Jesus, is found in the soil. There are four different kinds of soil that he mentions. And we ought not think he's describing four types of people, four different personality types. He's not saying there are four different types of people in the world. But he's saying there are four kinds of responses to the message of the kingdom that is scattered There's two extremes, of course. At one extreme, there's the seed that falls on the hardened path. 
And he speaks of those who receive the seed, but it's like water off a duck's back. At least, maybe not a duck, but birds are the problem here. And Jesus explained that these birds represent the evil one. He is the one who comes and snatches the seed away as soon as it's planted. So what we need in our church family are scarecrows. There's a ministry for scarecrows. People who will keep you from forgetting what you heard when you left the door and got to the morning tea room. Because the devil might snatch it away. We need scarecrows among us to keep the birds away so that we remember and we get out to morning tea. We're talking about it. We're not forgetting about it quickly. And I say this because if we can't talk about the Lord and his grace with each other at morning tea, how are we ever going to reach Bendigo with the gospel? If we can't talk about it amongst ourselves, how are we going to talk about it amongst the world? We need scarecrows. At the other end of the spectrum are those who hear the word and receive it and the seed produces in them a crop. We'll come back to them in the third point. In the middle of those who are a bit like the stony ground which finds some place for the seed to root and grow for a time but the growth is shallow and short-lived. Now you might say, well, I can't remember what I hear. I listen to this and I listen to that and I can't remember it. It's not about remembering. It's about responding. I can't remember what I had to eat last week. I haven't memorised every dish, but what I did was eat everything that I cooked, because Sandra was away, and I'm all the stronger for it. See, that's what it means to listen well. It means to digest it. It means to respond to it. And there are those also in the middle part of this spectrum who are like the seed that falls into thorny ground where the seed takes root but doesn't reach maturity. And so Jesus says when tribulation or persecution arises and the root isn't strong, that fairly soon they fall away. Sometimes we speak of people with rocks in their heads. Jesus speaks of people with rocks in their hearts. And we all know someone, we all know someone who has tasted something of the word of God who's heard it and seemed to believe it, but has never gone on to maturity. Never let it penetrate too deep. Never attended to the weeding, and so the, the seed has become choked. What kind of seed do you respond, are you like, sorry, what kind of soil are you like this morning? How are you going when it comes to hearing and listening? Don't forget that this is Jesus speaking to you. He's not in a boat now out in the Judean countryside on a lake. He's in heaven. He's on the highest place that heaven affords, but by his spirit and through his word, he is still speaking to you. And the question is your response. Do you receive it? Every week when you hear the word of God, do you receive it? Do you take it home or is it one ear in and one ear out?
like the man who came to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones one Sunday night after Lloyd-Jones had preached an evangelistic sermon. He said, Doctor, if you'd given an altar call tonight, I would have come forward. And the doctor said to him, If you don't want Jesus five minutes after the service is over, then I can assure you, you didn't really want him at all. That's the test of how well we hear and how well we respond. Jesus is not interested in some superficial response, not some surface emotion. He wants serious, ongoing relationship that means discipleship. What things need to be dug out of your ears in order for you to hear? That's a question for you. And third, Jesus speaks of some very big results. Every one of the parables that Jesus tells has a punchline and the punchline in this parable is verse 23 and it's a powerful one. The seed that fell on the good soil, or should I say the prepared soil, the cultivated soil, the weeded soil, is the one who hears and understands the word and who bears fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. The parable ends on a very positive note, but it's probably lost upon us because we're not farmers in Judea. But this, these hundred, sixty, thirty, is a staggering, huge yield. The average harvest in the barren desert region of Judea was no more than seven or eight times what was sown. Ten times would be a good harvest, twenty times exceptional, thirty or sixty or a hundred, unthinkable, an enormous harvest. So do you see what he's saying? It's not that the evidence of growth is just a little bit of fruit. The evidence is a lot of fruit, a lot of fruit, some a lot, some a lot more some a whole lot more. So he gives us this test of whether or not the seed that we've received of the word of God is actually growing in us. He gives us a test of whether or not we're responding to his word. And the test is fruitfulness. See, of all these kinds who heard the word, the hard hearts heard it and hear it, the shallow hearts heard it and hear it, and the overcrowded hearts heard it and hear it, but it's only this last group that really heard it and hear it. It bears fruit because the word is received with joy. It bears fruit because it's watered. It bears fruit because it's followed through with. It bears fruit because the word does it does its work and the thorns and the thistles are kept away and the birds are kept off. It bears fruit because it's given time and attention to bear fruit. It's not strangled by competing interests that the heart is seeking after other things. It bears fruit because that's the reason God has sent it into your lives that you might hear it and believe it and respond to it. If you're not growing in that way as a believer, 
The question is, are you a believer? Are you really a Christian? If it's not bearing fruit in your life, you're either not listening or you're not in the kingdom. Because living things grow, healthy things grow, and believers grow. And it all begins with how well you hear. If you're a careless hearer, then you may already be thinking about lunch and what's happening for the rest of the day and what's going to happen when we finish. If you're a casual hearer, then you might be allowing the world with its cares and temptations and glittering prizes to wrap itself around you and crowd out what's being said. If you're a careful hearer, you'll already be thinking of what you need to do next in order that this message isn't snatched up by the birds. Note this well about the good soil. This good soil type is not natural. How often have you been out to your garden and you, oh, there's no weeds. It's perfect. It's just amazing. I haven't touched it for months. And look at it. It's perfect. Not very often in my experience. As far as I know, the only place the seed grows is the place that you or someone else has dug up and weeded and got ready People just don't fit the good soil type without some prior digging and some rock removing. Think about that in terms of evangelism. Think about what you need to do first before you share something of the word of God. You need to pray that God would open those hearts that are hard and dig up the thorny ground and break up the hardened ground. You need to pray that the master gardener gets to work and prepares it so that the word of God is heard and received. If you have people that you're sharing the word of God with or any of these first three types, remember only God can break the hardened soil. And we should be praying that every week as the word of God is preached and shared, that the seed falls on the ground he has prepared. Two quick things as we close. Let's note that hearing the word of God isn't enough. Hearing the word of God isn't enough. All around Jesus as he spoke this parable were people who fitted this category. There were Pharisees who heard Jesus speak, who claimed that they were the keepers of the word and the teachers of the word. But Jesus says, unless you do the word, what use is it to you? You could have as many Bibles as anyone in the world, but what use are they to you unless you read them and do them? There are also crowds who are hanging around for a free feed. They too would hear the word of God from Jesus, but again, unless they heard and did what he said, What use was it to them? Hearing the word is important. Hearing the word can lead us to know Jesus, but if we hear it only, we're fooling no one. In Luke chapter 8, we find these parables told in a different context. And there we find that after concluding this parable, uh, Jesus' family came looking for him but couldn't get near him because of the crowd. When told of this, Jesus said, Who is my mother and my brother? Those who hear the word of God and obey it. 
So those, Jesus says, who are his people are not those related to him by birth, but those who related to him by obedience to the word of God. Not just those who hear it, because that would include all four types of hearers, but those who hear and obey. Long ago, Paul wrote this, test yourself. Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. And what would the test be? Just this second one and this second thing we can take home from the parable, that fruit is the proof of life. Now, there are still people who like to claim that they are his disciples and to them this parable says, you can say what you like, But unless you're producing the crop that Jesus expected, don't kid yourselves into thinking you're a believer. Having the seed scattered past your ears, is there fruit? Let me ask you this. Is there fruit to show that it's taken root in you? See, there's nothing wrong with the seed. Think of Jesus himself. He fell into the ground and died. He was a seed. And what came of his death? Well, believers that cannot be numbered. 25 years after Jesus spoke this parable, Paul could say in Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 that all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing exactly as Jesus said it would. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It all comes down to the kind of response you give when you hear Jesus speaking. Are you listening? Is there fruit? And do you hear what he says? Are you among the group that have ears that hear? And will you follow it up and respond All those birds come and snatch it away. Let's pray together. Lord, we all come under the searchlight of your word this morning. We're all forced to stop and think, to thank you, first of all, that you speak to us so often. You speak to us in all kinds of circumstances and situations. But in this one, particularly when we hear your word, whenever we have it opened or open it ourselves, please help us to be of the right category. Please dig up the hardened ground in ourselves, in our families, in our friends, in our workmates our neighbours, with any with whom we share the gospel. And please help us to be scarecrows for one another so that we don't allow the world to cram into our conversations so quickly. Forgive us when we've failed to talk as we should, to speak as we should, to encourage each other as we should. Enable us to respond with faith 
thanking you for your word, which is addressing us today. Please give us ears to hear, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.